in a series called Parables, um, subtitled The Stories That Jesus Told About Us. And uh, we kicked that off last week. Today, we want to pick it up again in Matthew chapter 13. If you want to take your sermon outline out, you can track along with me and take notes if you'd like to do that. Uh, we'll throw everything up on the screen so you can track along. And um, for those of you who are watching online as well. Let's look at the story. Beginning of verse 24, it says, Here is another story that Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night, as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat and then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted that good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked. No, he replied. You'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. And then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles, and burn them, and then put the wheat in the barn. How many of you are grateful that God is patient with you? Yeah. Yeah. How many of you are sitting next to someone who needs a lot of God's patience? Yeah, yeah, there you go. You know, it's so interesting how thankful and how wonderful it is to enjoy the patience of God. But isn't it, isn't it funny how we don't like to be patient? We're not patient with ourselves. We're not patient with other people. Certainly not patient with the work that God gives us to do. But that's what this parable is all about. Everybody repeat out loud after me. Lord, give me patience. One more time. Lord, give me patience. Now, that's what we want to talk about today. Now, in this story, this, this story that Jesus tells, he, he talks about the, this wheat that's been planted and then these weeds that are growing up with it. And sometimes for a lot of us, we're not farmers. We don't really understand that. Throw that picture up on the screen for me. But I want you to see uh, the commentators believe that this bearded darnel uh, weed is what they're talking about, what we call tares and, and some of the older versions of the Bible or the weeds that they refer to here. And you can notice how similar they look uh, to the wheat. And in fact, when, when the plants are young, they're almost identical and it's very difficult to tell them apart, which is why it makes sense then that the farmer says, you know what, don't go ripping out the weeds because some of what you may think are weeds are actually wheat that just look like weeds. And so we don't, want you to, we don't want you to go ripping those out. And then as they grow and you can begin to discern it, something else happens. So that next picture up on the screen. You'll notice how the roots of both the weeds and the wheat begin to interlock underneath the ground. And so as these plants grow, as the wheat grows and as the weeds grow and their, and their roots begin to connect underground, if you start pulling out the weeds and what happens to the wheat? It comes out with it. Yeah, you're, you're yanking out the roots and, and you're going to ruin a lot of wheat. And so the, the farmer says something that is really hard for us, I think, to, to really wrap our minds around, and that is just be patient. Wait 
on, on wait for the process to take place. Now, that's what I, I want to talk to you about today. This, this is a, a simple message. Here's the big idea. I want to talk to you this morning about being patient with yourself and the work that God is doing in you. I want to talk to you about being patient in the work that God is doing through you because sometimes we want results a lot faster and a lot more trouble-free than the way God gives them. And thirdly, and this may be a real challenge for some of us, I want to talk to you about being patient with other people that God is working on. Now, ushers, go ahead and lock the doors. I saw some people looking, looking back. Let's go ahead and talk about it. I want to give you a couple of thoughts. Are you ready? Let's go back to the story. Let me, let me just give you three thoughts this morning that are, that are pretty simple, but I think they're really powerful and profound. Here's the first one. Don't take the weeds of life personally. Don't take the weeds of life personally. When Jesus tells this story um, of the weed and the weeds, it would have been easy for the workers to say, we've got weeds because we're just horrible workers. The reason the weeds are here, we should have done something to stop this. We should have done something to prevent this, but we didn't. It would have been easy for the farmer to go, oh my, my field is full of weeds and uh, I, I, I must be a lousy farmer. I'm no good at this. Isn't it interesting how often when problems happen, when uh, disruption happens, when we run into difficulty, whether again, whether it be in our personal journey of faith or whether it be in the work that we're doing for God, isn't it interesting how we tend to personalize that and we just want to give up on us. But don't. Trust God and trust the process. Here's a, a, a great story. Throw that picture up on the screen for me. That young lady, uh, her name is Desiree uh, Linden. She goes by Des, D-E-S. Uh, great runner. Um, back in uh, mid-2012, oh, 2016 era, uh, she competed nationally in a lot of different uh, marathons and runs. She ran in the Olympics. Um, on uh, April 16th, uh, 2018, uh, she was to compete in the Boston Marathon, which is one of the biggest races uh, internationally ever. Uh, it's a huge race with lots and lots of runners, and everybody of name wants to, wants to compete there. Uh, that morning when she woke up, she wasn't just feeling great. It was one of those mornings when she woke up and she, instead of being all energized about the race and all of that, she felt kind of blah, maybe I'm coming down with something, uh, just didn't really feel herself, but, you know, she's already entered and, you know, she can't just walk away. So she, she went. It was a nasty Boston day. April, again, April 16th was the date. 42 degrees and raining, if you can imagine. How would you like to run 26 miles in rain? Yeah. How many of you go, I wish I could run 26 feet? You know, 26. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's just one of those things that, you know, 26 miles, if you can imagine it. So anyway, she, she gets there, and she just doesn't feel it. And she starts the race, and she's running along. And she has this thought, you know what? I'm just going to quit. I'm just going to pull out of the race. My, my body hurts. I'm tired. I don't really feel it today. Uh, rather than embarrass myself, I'm just going to give up. And uh, she caught up with a, a runner, uh, Shailene uh, Flannery, who is another American runner. And she, she, she's running beside Shailene. She says, Shailene, I, I'm going I'm, I'm to pull out of this race after a bit. Um, but how about if I help pace for you? And I'll run with you and help pace you. 
and, uh, and if the wind picks up, I'll, I'll get in front and I'll block the wind because so, you know, I'm going to pull out and that way you get a good shot at, at, at running a good race. And uh, so they're running together. And uh, she even slowed down at one point when Shailene had to, to stop and take a potty break in the middle of this race. And she, she slowed down. And, but as they're running together, Des says something funny happened. She said, the more I was thinking about her and what I could do for her, she goes, I forgot about me and how bad I felt. And she goes, and the more I forgot about how bad I felt, the better I was running. And she said, then suddenly I, I realized, you know, I'm running a pretty good clip here. And, you know, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm just going to keep running. And so she just, after about halfway through the race, she just began to, to pull away and, and she kept running, which was a really good thing. Throw that next picture up on the screen. Because she won. Get, get this. Now, it's not just, this is a big deal. She's the first American woman to win the Boston Marathon since 1985. 1985, 30 years, she was the first woman to, to win that race. Now, you can look, I mean, you can see the rain pulling out and, and what she, can you imagine? She almost quit. She almost gave up altogether, and she ends up winning. Gang, plant this in the back of your brain. Because sometimes when you're ready to give up on you, 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 you make this commitment to God and you, you take three steps forward and two steps back and, and you try and you fail and you try and you fail or, or, or you're, 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 you know, you're, you're struggling along and you just want to give up. You're like, God, maybe I can't do this. Maybe I'm not cut out for the Christian life. Look at me. Yes, you are. Stay with it. You are more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus our Lord. You just can't quit. And it's the same when you're letting God use you. You know, so many of us, when we're teaching in class, leading a group, uh, heading up a ministry, or just being involved in serving in some capacity, it's just real easy for things not to go well. And finally, you start taking it personal. Maybe I'm not a good teacher. Maybe I'm not a good leader. You know, maybe, maybe this, and, and you just want to give up. Look at me. But don't. Weeds are a part of everybody's field. Let me say that again. Weeds are a part of everybody's field. There is not a one of us that don't encounter struggles, challenges, and setbacks along the way. Even Jesus. Look at the passage of Scripture. John 6, Jesus has just performed miracles with the fishes and the loaves. You remember that? Where he multiplied them, fed 5,000 people. And after that, people are following him, and he's teaching, but he's teaching some pretty tough stuff. And look at what happened. I love this. This is in John 666, <laughs> the perfect, perfect place for this passage of Scripture. Read it out loud with me. It says, at this point, many of his disciples turned away and, and did what? Deserted him. Now, just imagine this. You've just fed 5,000 people plus. You've been, you've been doing all these great things, and you say a few hard things, and many of the people just start walking away. How many of us would have gone, well, if that's how people are going to respond, I might as well give up. I must not be cut out for this. Or, or how about Peter? You remember Peter? Peter is a classic study in someone failing their way to success. <laughs> you, you go back and you follow his storyline. I put this on your outline so, so you could have this. You know, you remember when Jesus appears on the boat and they've been fishing all night. And uh, Jesus, after they, you know, they were all done, Jesus teaches for a while. Then he tells them, throw your nets on the other side. And Peter's like, dude, we've been fishing all night. 
But if you say so, you know, and he throws his nets down, what happened? The nets were overflowing, and Peter looks like an idiot, and he was, you know. <laughs> he didn't believe there would be fish on the other side of the boat. Remember when he tried to walk on water? What did he do? He sank. He sank, he sank like a rock. Remember when, when, when Jesus is telling his disciples, he's preparing them for Jerusalem. He's saying, I'm going to be arrested, betrayed, killed, but don't worry. Three days later, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rise from the dead. You remember what happened? Peter, Peter pulls Jesus aside and rebukes him. Rebukes him. You can't say stuff like that. You remember what Jesus said to Peter? Get thee behind me, Satan. I've been bad in my life, and I don't think I've ever heard God call me Satan along the way. You know, just, that, was pretty, that was pretty bold. Yeah, but he, and, he, and he does all this, and then, then they get to Jerusalem. Look at this. Then he abandons Jesus in the garden when the guards show up. Then he denies he even knows Jesus in the courtyard. And after all those failures, on the day of Pentecost, Peter gets up, preaches, and 3,000 people get saved. Are you getting this? Don't quit. You may be just a step away from success. For Peter, it was a failing forward, as it should be for us. Look at me. I don't know how you may be struggling in your personal walk of faith. I don't know how you may be struggling in whatever God is trying to do through you. I don't know who you may be struggling with and ready to just say, maybe it's me and walk away. Here's the deal. Don't take weeds personally. They're a part of everybody's field. Amen? Amen. Let me give you a second thought. Don't get lost in the weeds. Focus on the harvest. Don't get lost in the weeds. Focus, in, focus on the harvest. You remember some time back I, I, I made the comment to you that whatever gets your mind gets you. And this is the point that Jesus is trying to get with the workers. First thing, first, their first reaction is, let's start pulling the weeds. And Jesus, no, 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 no. You, you, there's a harvest here. You know, we gotta, you got to keep focused on the harvest. You start yanking out the weeds, you're going you're gonna to pull all the harvest out. You don't want to keep focused on the harvest. Now, look at me, hear my heart. Some of you are your own worst enemy. Because when you see weeds in your own life, in your, in your ministry or in someone else, it's real easy to get lost in those weeds, get focused on those weeds, and forget that God really is up to a lot of stuff around you. Um, I, I was reading an article um, a while back, and it was so great. It was, it was these interviews that they were doing, um, or these comments by people who were well over 100 years old. And they were asking them about the secret to success in their life. What's the secret? What's the key to, to long life? And uh, they had a lot of different answers. But, but the big thing that I thought was so interesting were how many of them talked about it was how they framed their mind that helped them live so long. Um, I love it. My favorite one that has absolutely nothing to do with my message, but is just too good not to share it's this woman who's a, a Jesse Gallion who lived to be 109. And uh, you know what she says? She says, my secret to a long life has been staying away from men. <laughs> they're just more trouble than they're worth. And all God's women said, 
Amen. <laughs> Amen. That has nothing to do, but I just, I just had to share that. That was just too good. But I want you to hear a couple of these comments. Oh, these, are, these are some people who just, they had a great perspective. This is a guy, Cliff Grozier, who lived to be 104. He, here's what he said. He goes, I don't have many failures. He goes, if I'm making a cake and it fails, it becomes a pudding. <laughs> I love that. Had a cake, cake falls. You know what? I'm making pudding out of it. They, they just you know. here's, here's the, this gal was just absolutely amazing. You want a, a fascinating individual. This, this, this is my favorite. Throw that picture up on the screen. This is Jean Calment. She died in 1997 at the age of 122. Think about that. She is the longest living person in modern history, people that we actually have a record of. I thought it was so fascinating reading her story. She was born in, I think it was 1878. She said she actually met Vincent Van Gogh when she was 13, and she lived in France. She said, I met Vincent Van Gogh, and they said, what did you think of him? She said, he was ugly, smelly, and very rude. <laughs> Not to mention he had ugly ears, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Some of you will get that later. <laughs> but it was so interesting when, when they interviewed her, they, they asked her, they said, how are you feeling? They interviewed her. She was 120 when they interviewed her. And they said, how are you feeling today? She, this is what she said. She goes, I see badly, I hear badly, and I feel bad, but everything's fine. <laughs> what, a, what a great perspective. What a great attitude to our life. Oh, you know, I, I see badly, I hear badly, and I feel badly, but every, everything's fine. She just had this optimistic, she kept her eyes on the wheat not the weeds. Now, here's what I absolutely loved about her. When they asked her what was her secret to long life, she said she believed it was due to laughter and olive oil, which I thought was really cool. Laughter and olive oil. Her closest friends said, I, this, this I just loved, her closest friends said they believed her secret to long life was her sugar-rich diet. This lady at 122, she ate two pounds of chocolate a week and had dessert with every meal. I'm going to live to be 150. <laughs> My goodness. Here, here's the key. What do you focus on? You see, if I were to ask some of you about your journey of faith, some of you would... Only thing you would see are how many times you failed. You wouldn't see all the crop progress that you've gotten. You, know, you wouldn't see your growth. If I were to ask you, how are things going with your ministry? You would, you would, you would see uh, the things that weren't going right. You would see the, the people that weren't responding. You wouldn't see the, the, the harvest of what, of what God is doing. If I were to ask you about someone who you've been praying for, you would, you would tell me how, how hard and resistant they are. You, but you may not see because you're not looking for the growth that's there and where the ways that God's hand might be working. And here's the deal. If you focus on the weeds, it's going to consume you. Jesus said, focus on the harvest. I love this. Matthew 9, it says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so he said to the disciples, read it with me, gang, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his field. Now, here's the deal. Do you think there were some problem people in the crowd when Jesus made that statement? 
Do you think there weren't some critics there that were there just to mock what he was doing? Do you think there were some unbelievers who weren't going to accept what he said? Here's what I want you to get. Jesus saw the crowds and they're filled with all kinds of people and a bunch of them are weeds. But Jesus didn't focus on the weeds. He saw the people who were ready to be healed. He saw the people who were ready to move toward God. He saw the people who were ready to grow. He focused on the harvest. And the same is true for us. That's got to become our focus. I put this on your outline. Focus on what is happening, not on what isn't. Focus on how you're growing, not on how you're struggling. And focus on those who are responding, not on those who are not. <laughs> Anybody in the medical profession here? Yeah. Ever have difficult patients? Anybody have a few weeds, Patty, along the way? People that you came home and you go, I'm going to get a different job. Yeah. Yeah. How, many, how many teachers do we have? People who have taught school? Yeah. Anybody have ever have any difficult students in class? Anybody ever have any students that, like me when I was growing up, and that made you want to pull your hair out, you know? Made you want to quit? Yeah, yeah. We want to do that sometimes. And yet, you know, what we need to understand is that weeds are everywhere. But here's the deal. If, if Patty gives up being a, a, a nurse or a physician's assistant uh, to, to, because there's a, one or two difficult people, you know what? There's a lot of people who won't, that, that won't get healed that won't experience that touch. If you give up teaching because there's one or two difficult people in your class or, <coughs> excuse me, goodness, or there's one or two people who aren't responding the way that you want them to, you're going to miss all of these other people in whom God is doing something significant. Does this make sense to you? People who sometimes say, they're frustrated and they're ready to quit, and they'll say, Pastor Steve, this, this person is driving me crazy. Well, I love this. I saw this poster last week. Throw the screen. No one can drive you crazy unless you give them the keys. Somebody needs to take a picture of that and keep it with you all week because you're thinking of somebody right now, I guarantee you. Let me give you one last thought today. One of the other things that Jesus is teaching us in this is, is we have to trust God and his process. We have to trust God and his process. And this is particularly true when we feel like God is using us to work in someone else's life. Because a lot of us have people in our life that we, we feel drawn to. We feel God wants to do something, and yet it's just not moving as quickly as we want it to go. Um, I love Psalm 37.7. Would you read that out loud with me? It says, be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Now, here's, here's a few challenges I want you to keep in mind. One, make sure you're giving God time to work. Make sure you're giving God time to work. Not everything happens in a moment. Not everything happens instantaneously. Secondly, and this is going to be hard for some of us, make sure you're giving God room to work. Make sure you're giving God room to work. There are some of you, you and you know who you are. Some of you have brought people before God and say, Lord, I need you to, I need you to help these people. I need you to work in their life. And, and if you would listen carefully, what you would hear God say is, I would love to, but you're going to have to take your hands off. 
because we're not giving God room in some people's lives to work. And thirdly, make sure you're giving God your trust, your faith to work. Because sometimes when God's not working on our timetable, sometimes, man, we just want to wanna jump the gun and make it happen. And that's not trusting God in his process. God is patient with you, and he wants you to be patient as well. Amen. I was, uh, I was pastoring in Phoenix before I came to Oklahoma City in 2009. And uh, we had a, one time we had four services. One of them was a Saturday night service, really well attended. And uh, one Saturday night, um, I got to church and I was getting my stuff together. And as I was putting my stuff um, on the front row where I sat, uh, one of my greeters came up to me and said, Pastor, we had a, a brand new family here tonight. Um, it's a, a family that just moved to town. And he took me over and, and introduced me to them. And you could tell they were brand new because they were sitting in the second row. <laughs> they, they hadn't been, been at church long enough to know they're supposed to sit in the back. You know what I'm saying? And so they were, they were up front. And, and uh, I met them. And it was so good. A guy stood up, introduced himself to me. And he said, Pastor, we are so excited to find this church. He said, people have already been so friendly. He said, we've just moved to Phoenix. I'm working at Luke Air Force Base. Uh, he said, I, I have to work on Sunday. We're so excited for a Saturday night service. He goes, my family wants a place where we can plug in. We want to get involved. We want to serve. We want to give. Uh, we want to contribute to the church. And I'm like a pastor going, really? Really? It's awesome. You know, and I got all excited. Great to meet you. I met family. And I, and, uh, I thought, man, what a great way to start tonight. And, and uh, the band was getting ready to kick off. And just before the band started, my greeter grabbed me again. And he had a young man beside him. He goes, Pastor Steve, this is a, another first-time guest. His name is Ken. And uh, he, he's, he's here too. And I said, hey, Ken, good to meet you, man. And I slapped his hand. I said, I'll talk to you after the service. We're getting ready to kick off here, and I'm going to have to go on stage. And, uh, and, and he put Ken right up in the front row, right in front of the other family of four. And I just, man, I'm thinking, this is, what a great evening. You got five visitors on a Saturday night. This is just a great night. And the band kicks off. And, man, I'm just into worship. Yes, God is here. God is here. And uh, all of a sudden, I look over, and this young man, this young, wiry guy that's standing in the front row, all of a sudden he's looking around and his eyes get wide and he starts bouncing. And the music, we had a really kicking band and they were just, I mean, they were rocking and he's like, yeah! I mean, and I am not, I am not exaggerating in the least. I mean, this is, this is no exaggeration. He's, he's, you know, being loud, and he's back clapping his hands like this, and, and, uh, and I'm looking over, and I'm going, oh, no, they brought me a psycho. <laughs> and I'm looking at this guy, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. And uh, every song that escalated, he got a little louder, he got a little bigger, he, he got a little, you know, he got a little wilder. And I kid you not, I kid you not, at one point, our lead guitar guy was wailing away, kind of like Josh does, and this guy's doing that, you know, he's, he's just skipping down in front of playing air guitar. And I'm like, I'm dying. And it's right in front of my family of four. <laughs> and I just, I was done. And I'm watching this guy and I thought, where are my ushers? Why is nobody doing anything? And I thought, I've got to take this guy out. You know, I, I've, got to, I've got to get him, I've got to walk him out of here. He's, he's, this guy's psycho. 
And I kid you not, I mean, I'm, I'm not kidding at all. I took one step from that side to this side. I took one step, and it was like God put his hand on my shoulder, and I heard him say one word, chill. <laughs> how God speaks to you. That's how he speaks to me. He just said, chill. And I stood there, and I'm looking at him, and I said, God, something's got to be done. And I just, I just felt, I felt God's comforting presence, and I just, I heard him say, Steve, this is my church, not your church, and I can take care of my church. I go, okay, Lord, you got five minutes. <laughs> and if you don't come in, I'm going to assume you're giving it to me, you know. Well, the music, the music, you know, got toward prayer time, and it kind of wound down, and, and the guy kind of, you know, he, he calmed down a bit, and then came time for me to preach, and I got up to preach, and this guy decided he was going to preach along with me while I was preaching. Could you not? I would say something. He goes, that's right. That's right. You guys need to listen. You know, and I mean, he's just going, and I'm just going, I'm dying. I'm just dying on stage. And uh, somehow I made it, made it through. And when I got to the end, um, and I went down to lay hands on this guy. <laughs> I went down, and this guy's crying. He's sitting in the front row. He's crying. And I sat down beside him. And as soon as I got close to him, I could tell what was going on. This, this guy was drunk out of his mind. He, he reeked of alcohol. And I sat down beside him, and he's just slobbering all over me. He's like, oh, Pastor Steve, I, I'm, just so, I'm, I'm so sad. My mom's in the hospital, and she's sick, and she can't die. She's all I got. And, and Pastor Steve, I, I, I need to get saved. I need you to baptize me tonight. I need God to do And he's going on and on and on. And I'm like... Obviously, the guy's upset about his mother, and obviously he's, you know, but he's, he's not in a good state of mind. And I, I put my arm around him, and I said, okay. His name was Ken. And I said, Ken, here's the deal. I said, buddy, I'll, I'll be happy to pray with you about your mother. I'm so sorry she's sick, so sorry she's in the hospital. And I said, I'll be happy to pray for her, but here, here's the deal, bud. Making a commitment to Christ is a really important decision, and, and I need you to be sober for, to do that. I'm not, I'm not going to do this when you're drunk. I, you, I need you to be sober. And if you, if you really want to walk with God, if you really want this as a faith, I said, then I want you to come to my office at 10 o'clock on Monday morning. You come in, and I'll be happy to sit down and talk to you about what it means to be a person of faith. And so I prayed with him uh, for, his, for his mom, and, and then I, I walked with him as he went out. Thought, well, that's the last I'll see of him. Monday morning. Guy shows up at my office. He comes in, he's sober, and we sit down. And he, he was very apologetic. He said, Pastor Steve, I'm so sorry. He said, I'm an alcoholic. I'm a drug addict. And he said, I, my mom got sick, and I, I just went on a binge. And, and he said, I, I found your church, and I staggered in. He said, I'm so sorry, I I hope it didn't cause too much commotion. I'm going, no, man. (laughs) It's okay. And he said, but I have to get my life right with God. I have to get on track. And so I listened, and then I said, well, Ken, here's here's what that means. And I shared with him what it meant to, 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 to commit your life to Christ. And I shared, and he agreed. And we prayed together right there in my office, got down on our knees, and he committed his life to Jesus Christ. And 
we had a Celebrate Recovery program. And I said, Ken, you, you really need Celebrate Recovery. Uh, you need to get on top of these addictions. And he agreed. And again, that was a Monday, and we had Celebrate Recovery on Monday night. He came that night to Celebrate Recovery, and, and he began, and, and he was at church every single week, and he was at Celebrate Recovery every single week. And I watched this. I watched this mess of an individual, kind of like the demoniac in Mark 5 that became sane and in his right mind. And, and I watched God just begin to do a, a healing work in him. A few months went by, and he disappeared for a couple weeks. And uh, one day I'm sitting in my office, and my secretary buzzes me, and she said, Pastor Steve, uh, Ken's sister is on the phone. And so I picked it up, and I said, hello. And she said, Pastor Steve, my name's whatever it was. And she goes, I'm Ken's sister. And she said, I wanted to let you know that Ken passed away. I said, I'm so sorry. What happened? And she said, well, she said, I don't know if Ken told you his story, but he's been an alcoholic for a number of years, and he's been an avid drug user, and he's on the street for a long time, and he shared needles with somebody who had HIV. And he came down with the HIV virus, and he said a few weeks ago he developed pneumonia, and he was in the hospital, and they couldn't save him. He passed away. Then she said, Pastor Steve, you're, you're never going to know what it meant to us to watch Ken change. She said, that day that you prayed with him in your office, he came to my house and he told me he had prayed with a pastor to give his life to Jesus and he was going to attend a recovery program. And I'm like, yeah, right, you know, like you've told us a thousand times. And, and she said, but we watched him. We watched him change. We watched him grow. We, we watched him become the the guy that we always knew he could become. And she said, and I know you probably get this. She goes, but, you know, Ken wasn't welcome a lot of places. You know, he, he would always be drunk, and he always got run off from place to place and place. And he said, and yet you guys, you guys took him in, and you loved on him. And, and I watched the growth of your investment in his life. And she goes, Pastor Steve, thank you for helping my brother finally find the peace that he was always looking for. I hung up the phone and I laid my head on my desk and I cried like a baby because I came that close to driving off Someone God had hand-delivered to us for his grace. Does this make sense to you? Jesus said, don't get in such a hurry to pull out the weeds. Because sometimes when you do, you'll lose the wheat. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask my prayer partners to go ahead and come. And, uh, this morning, Rachel's going to lead us in a, a song that says, Make Room.
And it's, it's a great song about making room for God in our lives. And I don't know what you might need today, um, but God is here. You know, maybe, maybe you've grown discouraged in, in your own walk of faith. Maybe you've not been patient with you. And maybe today you just need someone to pray with you to say, you know, it's okay. There's weeds in everybody's field. We've all got room to grow. And maybe you just need somebody to pray an affirming prayer with you that you'll stay the course and continue to let God who began that good work in you to, to bring it to completion. There may be some of you who have been giving yourself to, to ministries and causes that you really believe in, but, but maybe you haven't seen the response that you wanted to see, or maybe you found a few critics, or maybe you've had some discouraging moments, and maybe you've been wanting to throw in the towel. Don't quit. If God tells you to change, that's okay, change, but don't quit just because of the weeds. Focus on the harvest. And I have no doubt that there are some of you who have some challenging people in your life that you're praying for. People who have made promises and broken. People who you're always hoping will change and they're not. And sometimes you're ready to say, it's just not gonna happen. Look at me, please. I don't know what God may be doing in you, but here's what I do know. Show them the same kind of patience that God has shown to you. Amen.